Good morning. Thank you all for being here. Hour three of today's show. I am your guest host and delegate Nino Mangione filling in for Casey and Elliot on this beautiful Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. And that is roughly 21 years after our next guest, who needs, of course, no introduction whatsoever, was sworn in as the 60th governor of Maryland. That, of course, is Governor Bob Ehrlich. Governor, it's an honor, and thank you for being here, and Happy New Year to you and your family. Nito, Happy New Year, and it's good to be back with you and to your uh, and with your listeners as well, and there's lots of news out there. Yeah, yes. <laughs> no shortage of things at all to talk about, and I want to discuss uh, with you, get your take on a number, of course, of national, statewide issues, and uh, later, if we have time, discuss some of the things you're up to these days. Um, crime, of course, has been a, a big theme of my message today and a lot of my guests, and I want to you know, move to the national scene here for a bit. Uh, there's no greater crime, Governor, than what's going on against this nation with the absolute total failure and complete crisis that has been created at our southern border. How big of a problem is this? Who do you think is to blame and why? Well, that's a leading question, my friend. Uh, we know the answer. We know what's occurred. What's strange about this and unique, in my view, is the administration leaders in in Washington uh, know what's going on. It, it's now being reported by the mainstream press. It has been reported by the mainstream press, not just Fox uh, more recently. Uh, we know the numbers. We know the repercussions, the consequences of an open border. We see them. We feel them. Talking about crime. Uh, we, we see the drug cartels in control at the border. We see the forced labor of children. We see the human traffickers. We see the fentanyl. We see the loss of property rights for American citizens along that border. We see displacement in local uh, labor markets where American citizens get displaced from, uh, I'm talking about marginal workers now. We see all these negative repercussions and yet Every time we see uh, Secretary Mayorkas, the President, whomever, it's uh, it's it, it's frustrating. It's it, it's something I truly don't understand because clearly it's a top shelf issue for the American public. Clearly, these consequences are taking place. Clearly, very few Americans, especially folks in the middle, independents, people who are going to decide this election, are happy with the status quo. And yet, it just continues. You know, it's frustrating. It's embarrassing. It's damaging. And and I'm at my wit's end. Kendall can't even watch reports on the, on the on this anymore. I'm sure a lot of your it's incredible. Feel the same way. Uh, it, you just, all those negatives you mentioned, and it's funny because I, I don't want to make you sound like you're a little older than I am, but I can remember being a student at Towson University listening to you speak <laughs> and you we're talking about this same exact issue, and it's been a long time since I've been at Towson University, but one of the things you discuss, in the, and it just clicked in my head here, you just mentioned all of those terrible repercussions from the wide open border. 
when you talked about that day, which is the same thing that's happening now, why are we continuing to give incentives? And that's what's been happening for decades after decades, rather than sitting there and saying that we are done with allowing this invasion. That's the thing. If you look at Twitter and social media, I mean, certainly there's a lot of negatives to Twitter and social media. But one thing it allows is for citizen journalists to really capture and tell the story that the mainstream media sometimes doesn't want to tell, that they want to suppress. And I've never seen anything like it, but like the videos at the U.S. border, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people waiting there. And there's actual video of Border Patrol agents letting them in. And then when they get here, it's not like they're all rounded up. Many of them are on public assistance. These incentives speak to the incentives, Governor. Well, it's the basis of all of economics, you know. It, when you subsidize anything, you get more of it. When you subsidize behavior, uh, name the behavior, you get more of it. So it, it's not surprising at all. Now, let's be let's be honest about this. Let's. We both know that for years, uh, prior to the Biden administration, there was an element within the Republican Party who was generally. Uh, uh, open borders, uh, yes, members, correct. you know, part of that chamber of commerce deal there. We need cheap labor, blah, blah, blah. But nothing like this. We also know, just to be fully honest about it, upright up, up about it, first year to the Trump administration was, was bad. Uh, that border was chaotic as well. But one thing President Trump did, obviously, uh, with regards to the state of Mexico and, and other policy changes, was to get that border under control. And he did. He uh, did. President Biden inherited a stable border. Well, Governor, ho- hold your thought. No hold your thought. We're going to go to traffic with Chuck Whitter, and then we're going to come back on this issue. Chuck, the uh, wreck on the Beltway interloop after Hartford Road now is pretty much into the median, so some traffic is getting by in the left-hand lane, but uh, it's a tight squeeze there, so I might just stay to the center and the right. The backup goes all the way back, still there, back beyond the ramp at you. Road. So if you're coming through Towson, you're thinking about how we're going to get around this way up Joppa Road, Taylor Avenue, Putty Hill, even Northern Parkway going east at least to Bel Air Road and then come back over to the Beltway from there. It's a long delay right now from Towson around eventually over towards I-95. I'm Chuck Whitaker with traffic and weather on the threes on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Thank you, Chuck. Today's weather, dry, mild, and a high of 50. Uh, chances for passing showers overnight. And tomorrow we are looking at a partly cloudy high of 46 with the possibility of rain and snow on Saturday. So I am here, Delegate Nino Mangione, joined again with former Governor Bob Ehrlich, and we are discussing this border crisis, this dereliction of duty by our elected officials in Washington, D.C. to protect our border. And that brings me up to a story I want to bring up, uh, Gov, is that the governor of Texas tried to do something about it, and he actually, you know, he put some razor wire and whatnot um, and some took some, you know, some uh, some measures here. And the Biden administration is now petitioning the Supreme Court to sue and go after Texas for trying to protect our national so- sovereignty and the state sovereignty. Explain this. I, I cannot believe it. Uh, it, it it's inexplicable. It, uh, it, the state and, and not just Texas, but especially Texas is trying to force the federal government to do its job. Exactly. Job one. Job one. Protect the border, American sovereignty, the whole nine yards. And what is the, what is the federal government 
how they respond. They say, oh, no, we're going we're gonna to sue you. Forget it. So, uh, but I think people really need to understand context here. We talked about it a second ago. And I, again, to be very transparent here, we're talking about Trump administration wasn't perfect. Things improved dramatically. And one thing President Trump did was tell Xi Jinping to knock it off with regard to the fentanyl. And Kendall, Kendall was deputy drug czar for the United States of America. She knows this up front and personal. Um, he literally told Xi Jinping to knock it off because fentanyl at that time, in that era, was coming through the mail from China. And Xi Jinping actually did that. And there was a diminution in the fentanyl uh, uh, packaging coming into the country. President Biden takes over, and as you know, the pre what's occurred here is the precursors get, get mixed in, in Mexico. They come across an open border, and here we are, fentanyl prices, 100,000 opioid deaths in the whole nine yards. People need to connect the dots here, is my point. They do. And I'm talking about sex trafficking and the drug cartels and loss of property rights and, and child labor, the, the cities, the whole nine yards. Suddenly, sanctuary city mayors aren't so excited about sanctuary cities anymore. No kidding. Yeah, I was, I was just I was going to bring that up next. Is, is you're hearing from the mayor of Chicago now, Mayor Adams in New York City. You know, a lot of this reminds me, of course, of the Obama. It's like an Obama third term. I can remember being in Arizona with with the great Tom Marr back around 2010 or so when Obama sued Arizona for trying to come up with tough immigration laws because the federal government wasn't doing their job. And you're exactly right here with the sanctuary mayors who now all of a sudden are uh, changing their tune, but they're not. Blaming Blaming the failure in the federal government, no. they're blaming Abbott. Well, let me ask you, God, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what do you feel about them sending the migrant buses uh, up to you know sanctuary cities? Well, I, you know, it's it's you listen. The government, the well, federal, you know, was I doing just, their job. But. Well, I would say they're doing their job, and I feel sorry for the people. And these are economic migrants, they're, they're being used as pawns because the United States of America is not taking its job seriously to protect our country. So, I mean, it's not as though we don't have some sympathy for these folks, but the fact of it is they are violating the law. They are and, violating and, the law. And, and, and as bad was in the past administrations, Republican and Democrat, it was nothing like this. We're talking eight, nine million folks here. We're talking serious it's numbers. unbelievable. Overwhelming. And, and, and the loss of rights American property owners at that border, the ranchers, the farmers, literally losing their enjoyment of their own property. Think about this. Think about the kids and the child labor and the sex trafficking. Yeah, when Tom Marr and I used to go to the Federation of American Immigration Reform, we would meet when they had their radio row, lots of these ranchers, yes. people yes. effective all over, and Nobody it was incredible. That. Nobody talks about that. Yep. Nobody talks about that. I absolutely feel sorry for these people. We we need real leadership on this issue. Guys like Tom Homan, who I know he worked under President Trump. I know President Trump talked about bringing him back. There's no telling the cost, uh, the you know the financial cost, and of course the criminal cost of the illegal immigration issue. But I do, you know, I want to go into speaking of cost, national elections pocketbook issues here, or what really decides a lot of these national elections. Of course, this immigration issue is right there on the forefront, and I think it's a, an issue that really led, if you remember, it was the Build Those Walls 
wall chants were the loudest chants during Donald Trump's first election when he ran. So obviously that's a big issue. But let's talk a little bit here about inflation, the cost of living. How is this issue going to affect Biden this year in this election? And I, actually, I almost want to ask you, do you think it's going to be Joe Biden as the Democrat nominee? I do. I do think he's going to be the nominee. I, I, I also believe the economy, the cost of living, daily existence is going to be issue 1A. I, I think the border is going to be dominant, has to be dominant. The numbers we've talked about, the issues we've talked about are real and they're serious and consequential. But uh, 1A is the economy. And as you see now, you have this charm offensive on economics uh, and trying to paint Bidenomics is a success and all this, and nobody really knows what Bidenomics is other than inflation, and that's what it is. And I think that's what people are going to respond to, especially the voters. And some of these issues are really complex. We both know that. Some of these issues are not so complex. We understood what caused the inflation. We understood the spending and print and currency and interest rates. We understand what caused all this. And the fact of it is, the bottom line, I use that term a lot, the bottom line is the average person pulled up for, uh, for down the gas, uh, the grocery bill, go, taking family out to dinner, feels it, sees it, pays it. You can't overcome that in an election. They can't cure that in the next 10 months. You and I, the, the stick for shock at, at, at restaurants out there these days, just yep. take your family out. People know it. They feel it. There's no, no language, no spin. No rhetoric from Washington politicians is going to change that bottom line. No, no, I, well, Governor Rasmussen just reported that more than 4 in 10 Americans, 41% of Americans say their personal finances have worsened in the past six months, with an additional 32 said they expect their finances to tank even further. So it's real. We know what's happening. We know, like you said, groceries, gas, rent. I mean, mortgage rates are through the roof. Home prices, of course, like you said, the restaurants. I mean, it's it's real. You know, you can have growth. You can have uh in, uh, you can increase your income, but that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is your standard of living. What's inflation doing to that income? You can get a raise, but if it's buying less, so what? And nobody ever talks about folks on fixed income and, and the working poor and poor. Inflation is the worst tax on, on we know that's a cliche, but it's true. So I think all these elements are going to come together with the border and it's crime uh, and and the cost of living and just what and we haven't gotten into energy independence in the Middle East the whole nine yards it, it's a problem it's going to be a problem for the uh, incumbent administration it's not going to be a replay of last time where President Biden that smartly ran very smart campaign stayed in the basement Trump's a bad guy, whole nine yards. Hold that thought because I want to talk a little more presidential campaign uh, issues and and some state issues when we come back. So this is Delegate Nino Mangione with Governor Ehrlich. We will be back shortly. We are joined by Governor Bob Ehrlich, and we're talking a little presidential uh, politics here. I want to ask you, and we're just real quick before I go get your thoughts on the Republican primary, I want to ask you, you know, this issue, we're talking about the economy. And, you know, Donald Trump, he gave a speech in New Hampshire not that long ago where he, he said that an economic boom would be immediate if he wins, but he forecasts an economic collapse if he were to lose. Now, obviously, the Donald is, uh, I mean, that's quite a quite a statement and he did come in and 
the economy went crazy his first term, and then, of course, COVID happened. So, I mean, what do you think? Is is that the issue for Donald Trump, the well, economy? What I think is elections are about contrast. You're a politician. I'm a former politician. We both know that sometimes campaigns are a function of personalities and things like that. But for the most part, campaigns are about contrast. My ideas against the opponent's ideas. Last time, President Biden got to basically get a pass. Um, President Trump was demonized. The first debate did not go very well, despite a really good story to tell, uh, as you discussed here, as you just cited. A lot of economic success, a lot of success around the world, for that matter. Uh, he was able to execute that basement strategy, and they executed it brilliantly, and they won. It was anti-Trump. It wasn't even in regards to his policy. It was, in fact, the Biden campaign didn't even pretend otherwise. Yeah. It was our, our guy's a nice guy. Uh, vote for him. And he's not as hated as Hillary Clinton. So exactly. at least exactly. at the time, exactly. So it was the contrast was, hey, our good guy against your guy who's demonized and he's got a big ego and all that stuff. Uh, and don't pay attention to all the policy successes. This time it's. Administration against administration, record against record. Yeah. Uh, cost of living against cost of living. State of the Middle East against state of the Middle East. I like that contrast. And what about what about you guys? You talk about contrast. What about how much does say Hunter Biden's? You know, in the allegations, or well, I don't know about allegations. Well, not with Hunter, but the you know the Republican Congress is now coming after the uh, President Biden. So you have that weighing in with the poor record of the contrast of the actual issues themselves, and then one that I think will deservingly so. I mean, let's just call it how it is. Biden's age issue. He looks frail. He looks fragile in his demeanor. His appearance, uh, he doesn't sound well. Yeah, Trump is an older guy, but he's very, seems, well, he has a full tank of gas when he's out. He's got the tower and figure. I mean, how much is that going to play a role? Which one of these, all of them together, I guess, combined, really hurt Joe Biden? Well, I I think we've talked about it. I think it's the border, and I think it's the the economy. And, And the other stuff is second, third, fourth, and fifth. Uh, and, and, and let's just talk about the science here. Let's talk about let's talk real. You and I can sit down right now with the map of the United States and predict accurately forty two states where they're going. Yeah, of course. So we're talking seven or eight states, and we're talking literally a handful of voters in each state. So what we're really doing is spending billions of dollars and all this time and energy. And I'm not being critical; it's just a fact. Uh, we're focusing on a couple hundred thousand voters. <laughs> Out of 330 million people and, and all the stakes here, we're talking about 10, 20, 30,000 people in Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, same thing with Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada. That's what we're talking about. So to the extent any of these issues impact folks in the middle, the undecided, the independents, all that, the folks up for grabs, it counts. That issue counts. Uh, and so that's what we're really doing here. And, uh, again, Pennsylvania's neighboring state to us. We'll be spending time up there, I'm sure, Kevin and I. We've been up there in the past. That state's in play. And where Pennsylvania goes may determine this next presidential election. Well, I want to say, God, I mean, I've got a lot more I want to talk to. Can you hold for a few minutes after we uh, the 830 hour? Or what's your schedule? 
I, I have a couple couple minutes. I have uh, I, I, I just have another ten minutes. All right. Well, great. Well, well, then let me ask you this. Uh, talking a little bit more about some state issues, I want to get your thoughts. Well, before that, the Republican primary. Do you see anything there that, or is it just Trump? Right. I, I, generally, yes. I will say this: that the fairness from the jump decided to uh, win or die on the hill of Iowa. <laughs> yeah. So what you've seen, all the resources, all the money, all the ads, all the attention, all the visits, everything that he's done, and I think he's done a terrific job, by the way, as, as a governor, um, is about Iowa. And so whether he's around for New Hampshire and Florida down the road is a function of what he does in Iowa. And yeah. we're talking about ex- the expectation game. You and I both know this very well. So do your listeners. It's expectations. If he gets if he gets hurt real bad in Iowa, it's going to be very difficult to raise. We'll go hold, hold that thought. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes, and we'll go into a couple state issues. Nino Mangione okay. with Governor Bob Early. Yeah. Welcome back. Happy New Year, everyone. Delegate Nino Mangione filling in for Casey and Elliot. I am joined by Governor Bob Ehrlich. Bob, I want to get into one more issue, and then I want to talk a little bit about what you're up to these days and how people can follow you. So back to Maryland. Let's reel it in here and talk a little bit about, you know, we've talked a lot about juvenile crime this show, so I want to talk about another major issue facing the state. That is the budget crisis. And one of the ideas I just was reading from a Washington Post article last week, they're talking about levying a millionaire's tax, of course, and then um, the Budget Senate and Tax Committee Chair Guy Gazon said everything, quote, is broadly on the table. And then you had the House Ways and Means Committee Chair Manessa Atterbury, Delegate Atterbury saying, quote, I don't think anything is off the table. Um, so I think you've heard these conversations before, have you not? I have a headache. <laughs> so I, I, when I left the scene, when I left the scene now many years ago, uh, I, I did believe that gaming revenue would uh, do a lot of things, including fill budget gaps and save horse racing and help the thoroughbred industry and uh, assist the uh, saving of farms. And and so you have now full-scale casinos, the whole nine yards, 24-7, a ton of new revenue coming into the state, and yet this this budget deficit, and I'll just say this, you and I know it, everybody knows it, all of your listeners know it. With a certain mentality, it's, there's never enough. It's never well, enough. You're exactly, well, listen, uh, Governor. Never, ever, ever. In, by the way, Washington as well. And Washington gets the print money. So it becomes even more irrelevant in the short term. Never, ever. It's ever never enough. Well, she says here in the quote, you know, some folks say, wait until next se- session. I say, rip the band off and let's just solve the problem. So the problem is, it's never enough because they need more of your tax dollars. That's exactly right. It's never enough. So let's solve it, not by cutting the spending, not by trying to figure out, do we really need this? Do we really need that? It's let's just tax some more. Yeah, yeah, th- th- that's right. Uh because there's there's always more problems. There's always legitimate issues. There's always reasons to spend more money. Always, 
And that's what's happening here also, Gov, is that, you know, if you, the analysts, I sat there in the Appropriations Committee, they were telling us, now, look, something along the lines, they forecast, or I hate this word in this situation because it's tax, but revenues they use was going to grow by 3.3% over the next four years, but the spending was growing by 4.8%. Last thought on this, and then I want to uh, talk a little bit about, I hear you have a new book coming out and that you're coming up or you're doing a podcast. So close it up when that tax issue and the budget with any final thoughts, and then let's talk about what you're up to. My last thought is your last observation. 3.3%, 4.8%. It's not complicated. Yeah, exactly. It's not. Complicated. It's, not. It, it's just not complicated. And again, it's Maryland's a blue state, and this is what you get. This is what people voted for. Yep. So nobody should be surprised. Yeah, the Kerwin bill, for example, is we sat there and told them this would happen, and they didn't listen, and they ran through well, it anyway. Well, they, they listened. Yeah, I'll well. Just, I'll just, they listened. They just don't care because they can always raise taxes. So talk a little bit about your book. I believe it's dealing – it's not out yet, but it comes out later no. this month, correct? And is that uh, – it deals it, with it, the election? It's more of a reference guide in the book this time. I, I thought I would not write another book. My first five are, <laughs> were very time-consuming. Yeah. I've had a great deal of fun running around the country, especially the East Coast, with the books and the speeches and all that the last, really, ten years. But I just thought, given this presidential election, the stakes, the likely candidates, it was important to record and comment upon the last three, four years of uh, so 101 Ways America Went from Sweet Land of Liberty to Weak, Woke, and Wobbly, A Reference Guide to the Biden Years is the title, and it will be coming in the next month or so. We're uh, negotiating the artwork uh, this week with the publisher. The manuscript is done. As you know, a lot of small details when it comes to publishing a book, but it's more of a reference guide for uh, your listeners, uh in, in debating or arguing or closing that neighbor, that uncle, that coworker, whomever's undecided on election 2024. Here's 101, really 102 reasons why they should really think about what's gone down the last 36, 48 months. What about your, and that sounds great, you have uh, a podcast out right now. We and how do they listen to your podcast? Line with Bob and Kendall Ehrlich. We just did our 100th show. We're growing. Congrats. We just got the ratings. We're in the top half in in the country and we're obviously uh, ascending. So bottom line with Bobby Kendall Ehrlich, it's, it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of good guests, live national guests. Uh, on Twitter, uh, Bob uh, underscore Ehrlich at Bob underscore Ehrlich. Facebook as well. Is that Bob how they Ehrlich find has, your podcast or is that what, Spotify? Yeah, you, can or? Find, uh, you can find it on our website uh, as well. Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube. What was the website? BobEhrlich.com Oh, there you go. It's pretty easy. So, uh, well, that's great. You're already in the top half. So a lot of your guests, you said a lot of national guests, people. Yeah, we've had Speaker Gingrich and and, uh, and Secretary Pompeo. And we, a lot of, we do a lot of politics. We do some sports. Obviously, football season. We're a huge football family. The Ravens going to win the Super Bowl Ravens. or what? Well, uh, Mrs. <laughs> Ehrlich is, was, Mrs. Ehrlich, yeah, being the blue hen. Oh, uh, Cleveland Browns, still right? Has, Flacco? Still, well, still has some Flacco love, but the Ravens first. Well, that's Ravens a great first. story, Flacco. <laughs> it is a great story. You got a lot. But college football, obviously, uh, Drew's out there. Your sons are, yeah, one of your sons, right? 
uh, potentially uh, looking, hopefully, get signed uh, in this new league announced over the weekend. And uh, Josh is the quarterback at Susquehanna. So we're very excited about going forward, very excited about 2024. Uh, Kendall's very excited as well about, and me as well, uh, playing a part in this presidential election. You know, I'll close with this. Every politician, you and me, every politician always says the next election is the most important we've ever seen. Yeah, but this one um, is... Guess what? This is the most important election we've ever seen. Yeah, and I'll, I'll touch on that when I come back. But no, thank you, Governor. Happy New Year to you and Kendall, your entire family. Thank you so much for being here. You God it. bless you. Take care.